Hey everybody, welcome to the I'm a Rescue podcast, uh, pandemic edition. Steph and I are still quarantined for a little while longer, probably for a long time. So uh, we don't have guests. Probably even after quarantine's over, I, yeah, s- I, I mean, don't want to leave. Yeah, I think we're going to stay inside pretty much. We're going to start like a Waco style cult. Oy. Well, without the military action of the United States. Anyways, um, we are uh, we are here. So whenever anything strikes us, we just kind of decide to do the podcast. And uh, we just we're very impulsive. I'm more impulsive than you are. Impulsive sounds like a bad thing. Impulsive sounds like we might like snap and and go on a on a spree or something. But uh, shopping spree. Yeah, shopping spree. Love to shop. Um. <laughs> So Steph and I watched uh, Middle Ditch and Schwartz uh, last night, and Steph Steph was enamored by the whole thing. I mean, you was too. <laughs> I was twos. Uh, <laughs> yes, I no, I really enjoyed it. It was so funny. Uh, if you don't know what Middle Ditch and Schwartz are, an improv duo. Um, and I think uh, Thomas is from Canada and then did Second City in Chicago. And uh, uh, what's the other guy? Ben, Schwar- ben Schwartz uh, is from UCB in New York. And I wasn't sure of how it would be because I've watched a lot of improv. Um, I, I always enjoy like when I went to UCB and watched improv or our friends Kelly uh, Ruman and Lauren Pritchard are always very funny. Uh, Lorelli. Lorelli. Hey, that's Italian. They are not Italian. <laughs> Uh, but we always enjoyed watching them, and like uh, Dave Tooney has a group called Orpheus Roy, which no longer exists. Oh no, I didn't know that. No, they. I mean, they kind of just splintered off into different. They're so funny. They were, yeah. They. Tom they were, used to when Tom and I were first dating. He, uh, Tom's group, uh, Old Milwaukee and Orpheus Roy, would always be playing together. Um, one one would go first and the other. That's how we always went first. Um, one's on the top, one's on the bottom. Uh, and that the, uh, they would play at IO, and I was like, I think that was the first time I had really gone to. I I mean, I went to some improv shows before that, and I took uh, UCB class, mm-hmm. but I I don't really remember. I I went to see UCB the the what's that um, as cats. Yeah. <laughs> Ascat, 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 which was also a. Uh, I think they also did a DVD of that. <coughs> like oh. UCB released an Ascat DVD, which was like with celebrities playing, like Amy Poehler and Tina Fey, maybe. But basically, famous people from UCB, and I watched that. It wasn't very funny to me. I don't really rem. I don't really remember feeling either way in in. Uh, the show when I used to try to go, it always be sold out. And then when I went, I remember certain performers standing out to me. Mm-hmm. But as a whole, I don't really not the way Orpheus Roy and Old Milwaukee of that connection of of just a group that has fun and that has fun, loves each other, and, and just right there. That's uh, well. So I'm I'll, just to take you through my improv journey is Ooh. yes going back to 1994 this. so this is almost you know 25 26 years ago uh i went to i started taking classes at comedy sports and i always heard about this group dead ale wives and i was a very naive 23 year old boy uh M- my might i say you're a naive 48-year-old But I remember uh, hearing about the dead alewives and like, and I remember they had like a this fish that was dead, and it was like because an alewife is a fish that washes up on the shores of Lake Michigan, so it looked like a punk rock sort of thing. So I was kind of scared of it, and I finally went to a show, and it was the funniest thing I've ever seen in my life. Like it made me laugh so much. And and the members of that group were Dan Harmon, Rob Schraub. Uh, Kurt Scholler, Mundy Carter, Bo Johnson, Sean McKenna, and Peter Alberts. And watching that show, we talked about the joy of watching people on stage, of people that are having fun together. That's that's what I got watching them, is them giving each other a hard time, making each other look good, but sort of, they call it pimping each other out, where you make people do things that make you laugh, even though it makes them a little uncomfortable. Not Not like a bad thing, but like making them do an accent or making them... Uh, have some sort of personality quirk. Um, that's what they would do, and it was so funny. And that was where, like, I realized how 
great comedy could be. Were you doing improv at the, at the time? I had just started, but I was. You were I, fr- you were uh, fresh blood. Yes, I was hooked on improv. I was hooked on comedy. So watching that though, new, bl- I, new blood. I don't. Is that even a term? What am I saying? Uh, fresh, fresh out of the. I was going to say box. F- fresh fruit. Yeah, I was a a fresh fruit and uh, (laughs) I but no, I remember seeing that and I because I remember I'd watched a lot of stand up comedy shows. None of it really made me laugh like the dead ale was made me laugh like I was like literally like doubling over. I was falling over like they had like little bleachers set up. I remember just falling over laughing because it was so funny. Yeah, the the, like those laughs from watching the the improv um the middle ditch and schwartz were the like same those hard like belly laugh like where it's like you, it hurts your jaw like i haven't yeah. had laughs like that in a long time yeah so we decided to do this to not only talk about improv but just to talk about sort of the future of comedy and and i think improv has been around since i think the 50s it started with viola spolin and then her Son, I think, started up something called the Compass Players, and that eventually became Second City. Which I didn't even know any of those basic things in this Vulture article I was reading. Mm-hmm. talks about how improv started as um, in a community where the that lady, what, what's her name? Viola Spolin. She wasn't even a comic. She was, uh, she was like um, a therapist. Right? She was a, um, a social worker yeah. trying to help immigrant children connect to each other mm-hmm. like that's incredible right yeah i have her, her book somewhere around here which i read and it was kind of boring but uh <laughs> no but it, but it, that's how it started so improv is a relatively new form i mean stand-up is is stand-up comedy is pretty old starting with vaudeville and everything but improv is really something that hasn't been exploited by hollywood um and it, and in this article we read on vulture about the Middle Ditch and Schwartz special and improv in general of how improv is sort of the redheaded stepchild of comedy. It's made fun of a lot in different series, even like Broad City, who who are two improvisers, right. make fun of how bad improv is. And just little snarky comments, even in Schitt's Creek. Right, right. So it's just and and good place. Like, like all these are some of my favorite shows. Right, and they. I mean, I think a lot of those people are improvisers too. Right. So I don't know where that comes from but the one thing they talked about with middle Ditch and schwartz was that they um that they love doing improv and they're like why can't this be something more why do i have to stop doing this once i'm on tv and i'm an actor and sort of famous why do i have to stop why can't i just keep doing this and people would they said how people would kind of laugh at them and kind of see them as like well, why are you doing this like you're already successful why keep doing improv and they just, why would we, st- and they were sort of like, why would we stop? It's the same thing as like, what you don't criticize Chris Rock going to the comedy store and still doing stand up or any other person that has been successful, whatever that means, right. has been successful as a, as an actor um, or a comic. They, you, people continue doing stand up. So why is, why is it looked down upon to keep doing improv? Right. And I, I think I think I looked down upon it too where I was like well there's no money to be made doing this. And I think the other part of it for me with improv was getting or people organized and getting right. people to wanna I always wanted to parlay it into something like can we do a sitcom? Can we do something with this? Like I wanted with to your like, group, with, yeah, with my group with Old Milwaukee. Yeah, and even with the Dead Alewives we always talked about like could we do a show? What if we took the best of our improv and tried to write sketches around that or whatever? And you told me did Orpheus Roy was trying to do, were were they trying to do a, um, a TV show or pitch something? I don't know. I, I'm, I'm sure they they did, but I mean, you know, all, everyone's. I don't know. I think everyone everyone thinks of it as well. I have to parlay improv into something else in order to make it. Because we haven't seen examples of right. it, but now we have. And the, I'm telling you, I don't think people have seen it yet that many. But this. The, there's nine reviews on Rotten Tomatoes. It has a hundred percent right now. This this show is going to change improv for for the better. Yeah, I think I I just thought it was my problem with improv was like how do you shoot this to make it interesting or, or translate from the stage to TV? And they they did a nine camera shoot, which is 
pretty much unheard of, I would think. I think my special, I, my stand-up special was six cameras, which a lot of people are like, six cameras? Wow. I didn't even realize. I was like, <laughs> up until last week, I was like, oh, it was like two cameras? Yeah. And Tom's like, no, there's there were six. six. Six cameras, which is smart. I don't my Our editor, Matthew Gosson, God bless him, he, he went through all that footage and and put it all together but can you imagine with this improv show going through footage with nine different cameras right and they go into the audience they you know there's nothing planned out so the camera people don't know where they're supposed to be um and it starts with getting so it starts with um you know how you watch a typical improv show you get a word suggestion so they they um they ask the audience is there anyone that's looking forward or dreading a future event Mm -hmm. so again the 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 sound people the sound techs don't know who they're going to be talking to because you can see the boom in like the first show mm-hmm. a little bit off to the side but how many sound tech people were there right and you don't know what you're going to get so they talk about like getting a suggestion they don't want somebody who's trying to like play to the audience or somebody who's going to tell a fake story they want like truth right and that's what makes good comedy and it is it is interesting because getting a suggestion, even like with stand up doing crowd work, you have to repeat what the audience is saying mm-hmm. in order for the uh, rest of the audience to hear what they're saying. You may hear it, but the rest of the audience doesn't. So there's a and this is a huge theater. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know how many. It looked like over two hundred. For sure. Yeah, it was it was big, and and they get the suggestion. They spend maybe five to seven minutes interviewing the person, and then they go into a scene they just start doing the first scene of this based on the suggestion like one scene was about a girl studying for her law school test and um they did a whole scene and it they didn't even p- leave the classroom yeah it all took place in the classroom with like six or seven of the students and they play every character so this is sort of what kelly vrooman and lauren Lorelli uh, Pritch- do lauren pritchard do they do uh, just two person show and they switch the characters and they become different characters and it's really incredible to watch and watching lauren and kelly was i think the first time i seen t- uh two imp- um, improvised show i know there's some like i know you said your friends your friend's husband does tj uh jagodowski yeah he does um he's actually i think he's a, he's a sonic guy the guy who does those sonic commercials oh, okay he's cool. the naive one He's not the brainy guy, <laughs> um, but yeah, they and that's Middleditch and Schwartz that they were inspired by them. I, and I, I wish I could remember the other guy's name, but Dave, some Jargowski, bunch of Polish guys, Polish Chicago's uh-huh. Chicagoans. Um, but this is the first time I, I I've personally seen a two person improv show with Lorelli, right? And their energy and they're just they're. And you got to like keep track of all the details of your story. And that's the beauty of improv and and storytelling in general is to remember all those details and to be able to go back and cover them and like, oh, yeah, I set up this character to do this and for them to remember it. So it's like a magic trick watching people do that. And uh, we just. But yeah, we were just blown away. And I, I know I don't know if we have a lot how many improvisers, friends of ours listen to our podcast, but I think more people should be doing like specials. Like, I don't know why stand up. Why do stand up comedians? Why are they the only ones doing comedy specials? Like improvisers could do specials. Not just that. Not just of doing specials. Improvisers, especially this two person format or whatever the structure is of it. Right. Why are they not playing? more shows theaters and clubs why is that not a thing yet i mean i think it well well because we're in a in quarantine now but right <laughs> but i mean i think there's i've, I've a worked with for it i've worked with uh, two guys who did uh improv but it was very uh, safe in, as far as like we're gonna do this game i'm gonna get in this position and i'm gonna say this line so it was sort of a little bit uh sanitized version or not yeah. just sort of there was a safety net built in because I'd watch all six shows and I'd be like, Hey, they did that last time. And I just think you got to be really good to do two person improv. Well, th- yeah, that, and well, these guys, their names, right. They have mm-hmm. the credit. They have the, they're, they're movie stars. Right. So they have a draw. Right. Um, but so I guess that's, I mean, that's, a big part of it right of of playing a lot of theaters right to go out to, to yeah to definitely to go out on the road and 
first of all, to get venues like, yeah, like you said, comedy clubs aren't going to hire a two person improv thing to perform at their club because it's like, I don't know what this is. And I, and I think a comedy club doesn't work. I mean, I remember we did we did a show at Flappers, old Milwaukee did, and we had the waitress walking through and we're trying to do long form improv on the Yoo-Hoo comedy stage. And <laughs> How do you all fit on that thing? <laughs> it was like off to the side. It's it so was, tiny. It was bad. Plus, it's like there's a rummage sale going on. Yeah, on there's the usually thing. more and more furniture up <laughs> on there. It's like shelves. Especially and, during the holidays, there's a huge ass Christmas tree right, on that freaking chair. Thing. Yeah. The, um, so, so, yeah, it didn't work at a comedy club because... Because um, you, if you're doing long form, you need the audience's attention for 45 minutes, and I think that's a hard thing for a comedy club is they can't, you know, even as a comedian to get an audience to be quiet for 45 minutes, right, to an hour and watch and pay attention and follow storyline and not shout out, shout out, right, right. I think yeah. that's all the that's all a the challenge. Booze and, and yeah. yeah. So I think like it does play better in a theater, maybe a black box type theater but not in a comedy club. I, so I think that's one issue. And then how do you convince your buddy like, hey, we're going to travel around the country and do two-person improv in right. little theaters? Well, I guess the part, the part of the financial aspect of it is like you have to be two names to be going to these theaters and in, be or, a draw, right? I mean, how do you sell people on, well, oh, no, you, you don't, well, you don't know what the show will be about yeah. like or have I, an underground following like right. a, or a strong improv scene where they're like oh man smith and jones are gonna be here cool like, right right but i want to like talk about also because this kind of goes back to just that just that boom of ucb and just like you know when uh, this had to be early to uh, this had to be like 2008 2009 ish that i was going to ucb and and these shows were just sold out all mm -hmm. the time and the lines to get into this thing was just insane um so what what are you looking for? Tom's looking for something. No, it's uh, I'm getting a little feedback. So I don't know if your phone. Oh, no. it's my phone. It's my mom texting me. She's uh, all right. Of any, course, uh, her mom's very needy. Um, hey. Well, that we makes, have fans make, of makes mom. you a good comedian. <laughs> Should we she, have fans of mom? Oh yeah, your mom does sort of um, listen to this. So that goes back to like, I think that for a long ass time, and I think things were going to change, but for a long time, these theaters are trying to get away with not paying performers for their talent. Mm -hmm. And they're trying to get all that money in their pocket because it 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 is um, a thing that can make money. It has made money. Well, the, off that point is, is, you know, talking about going to the Dead Alewives and then I was also in comedy sports in Milwaukee. That was a money-making operation. There were guys who made a living in Milwaukee at comedy sports because oh, really? Dick Chudnow and Bob Orvis, who helped run it, were master... I don't want to say they're master business people, but they were good at running a company. I think a lot of people don't appreciate... I remember people would sort of trash talk Dick uh, a little bit about... I mean, Dick started an improv company in Milwaukee, which was not the most theatrical city in the country, uh, and started an improv, which is an unproven thing, and started a business, and started a very successful business, and created a name, uh, and and then was able to, and then franchises all around the country. Uh, and I'm I when I was in Vegas, Dick came out because I think he stays in Vegas uh, during the uh, winter, and he was he, I just think he's he's like one of my mentors as far as getting me in to where I am. Wow. Whatever that is in comedy. Hey, don't um, give yourself more credit. Yeah. Yeah. No, but I mean, Dick, Dick was great. And I think people don't appreciate how great of a, uh, they, how, how great of a visionary he was as far as to do that. He, he came from Zucker Abrams and Zucker. They were in the Kentucky fried theater in, uh, in Madison. Then they moved out to LA and then the Dick, airplane movies. Yeah. And he, they did a, I think he did Kentucky fried movie with them. And then he sort of had a nervous breakdown. He sort of Who had did? a dick. Okay. And he moved back to Milwaukee and he sold his comedy ideas to the Zucker brothers and and went back home and sort of with his tail between his legs and then <clears throat> kind of picked himself up and said, I'm going to start up an improv group. And he did it at this restaurant called Cults. And maybe we'll have, we're, we're going to have Kurt, on, Kurt Scholler on our podcast and, 
and and he he was one of the sort of founding members and he just started his company and then it grew and bought a theater then in Mo- Milwaukee and Robin Williams performed on that stage wow. in the mid 90s um but but it was a money making operation so he it did, started at a restaurant like in the back room or something yeah in the back room of a restaurant and then it slowly grew uh and they put it in the third ward and then it was now it's on I think Water Street and he just grew this from nothing and wow. uh and it's competitive improv. It's like whose line is it anyways with teams and a referee and all that, comedy sports. And so roughly what year was this? He started in, I think, in 88, maybe, maybe 87. Yeah, so seven. not many. Was Second City, it was like, what, 60s? Yeah, Second 70s? City. Second City was pretty well established, but there was nothing in Milwaukee as far as improv. Like, you know, it was a unproven thing. Um, right. But he, you know, he, he did this and, and I made money. I mean, I made pretty good money doing shows on the weekends there and doing remotes for companies and, and all that. So, so he took care of his performers. He took care of his performers like that. That became, I think that was a good lesson for people coming out of Milwaukee is you should be getting paid for doing this work. Like this is hard work. And we read that quote from Matt Besser where he said, like, I don't see why we should pay people. It looks like everyone's having fun up there. Can you imagine right. saying that to comics or like... Or even an office person. Like, look, look like you're having a blast there in your uh, in your cubicle. I'm not yeah. going to pay you. It looks like you're having looks, fun. Looks like you're, you're, you're having a hoop filing <laughs> those papers. Right. It's like, yeah, you're watching for, an, uh, you know, half an hour on stage. You're not seeing them struggling to pay their bills and you know and i, I just and, whole, and and the, what, what is what is the point to that you it has to in order to get paid it has you have to be miserable right you can't like if you're having fun you shouldn't get money for that right yeah I why are those two things separate They're, that doesn't make sense to me right so i i should have been more miserable with yeah. UCB. I never took UCB. I remember UCB came in. I, I had gone through Second City in Chicago, and then I went to the Groundlings. And I got to say, Groundlings was great as far as what they taught me. I learned a lot about improv in the two levels I went through at Groundlings. Ted Michaels, one of the best teachers. Um, I took UCB, and I, I liked it. Um, Billy Merritt. Billy Merritt, yeah. He was my teacher, mm-hmm. and I learned I learned a lot. Um, yeah. It was... I, it was a good experience. Expensive. Yeah. Yeah. That's the thing. It's like I, I did Second City. I don't think it was t- too much. But that was the late 90s. Then I came out here. I did Groundlings, which was like 350 at the time. That was probably 2001, 2002. But what, what was UCB when you did it? How much? Yeah. I don't really. I just remember it being a lot. Yeah. And I just think like. Well, someone my age and at the time, like mid twenties, you're like, "Am I going to go to college or am I going to go to Take improv, improv college?" Yeah, like, yeah. how do you do both? Yeah, it's, I it's, mean, everyone in that class though was like fresh off the boat. Like, I'm from LA. Fresh off the boat, a show. I uh-huh. was on. <laughs> nice, <laughs> nice name drop. But everyone just was maybe a little younger than me. Just came to you know LA because they're you know or or they had been a little bit and then they're you know, their manager or agent told them to take the class. It seemed like right. just a lot of just act straight up actors. Well, when UCB showed up, it definitely like swept the nation of LA. Like it was like, everyone's yeah. like got to get to UCB. And it, it was like the hot, hot property, uh, in LA. Like, And then you'd have, they'd have these guests. Like I remember cause I was such a big fan of the show Dexter and the, and the, um, Oh, Jennifer Carpenter was mm-hmm. the sister on it. And then she was just like, I, it blew my mind. I'm like that. She was just a guest at one of the shows that right. I, like, I was like looking at their calendar, like, cause I wanted to go see her cause I was a fan of her, of her acting. I, was yeah. like, I couldn't believe just like all these just actors would just show up for this show, this into in this intimate theater that you can go and yeah. watch it. Well, yeah, I remember doing, I did a couple of stand-up sets at UCB, and it was a big deal when you got to perform there. I did Jimmy Pardo's talk show with Rob Corddry as the other guest. Uh, And, you know, it's like a huge, that's like a credit almost, you know, it's like to be at UCB. Um, But UCB, so they had a theater in New York. They had two theaters, two theaters in New York, and then they 
had one theater in LA and then they decided to open up this whole classroom facility in LA and it's huge. It's like, it's like a public school almost. It's like 10, you know, but I've, I've only been in there once, but they have like a coffee shop, they have classrooms, they have a main theater. And in LA, if you buy a property, I mean, that's million, million bucks, millions of dollars. Million dollars. <laughs> I like you're like a million dollars, way more than a hundred well, billion do you, dollars. Do, we don't know if they own the property. No, I know they don't own the property. But can you but, imagine the rent on that? Yeah. Es- especially during freaking a pandemic right now. Yeah. So, th- so UCB just helped. So the big Ooh. issue is that they haven't been paying people and a lot of people have called them out. Why aren't you paying your performers? You're making 10 bucks ahead. Every show is sold out yet. Nobody gets any money except for the theater and there. And then they almost do it like and with uh, that said like not just that I'm sure they I have no idea because I don't really follow any of it but I'm sure they have merch right you know yeah they and yeah they make a lot of my and the classes and it's right but I always compare it to uh, Phil Hartman's uh, lawyer caveman he's like and he's like this he's a caveman but he's clearly living the high life he has like a boat and a fancy car he's like look I'm just a caveman i'm not familiar with your ways and that's like how he wins every case and that's sort of what ucb does is they'll be kind of like look we're just an improv group we're just a bunch of crazy theater kids that just started up a company and meanwhile it's like amy poehler and matt besser ian roberts and matt walsh and it's like you guys are in every comedy movie i mean i mean amy poehler has like an empire and it's like you guys aren't just theater nerds who like we didn't know what we were doing right you're all you're multi-millionaires like a, yeah you're i mean at least most of them are you know and it's like you can't keep saying that we don't know what we're doing and it's like <laughs> and that and i think that's one thing that's frustrating america in general just to like take it further is that these corporations and everything like people are starting to see like celebrities and corporations live a whole different lifestyle than the yeah other. i think this i think going through this and being in quarantine and going through a pandemic you start to just if you didn't notice it before or you're just like this is all a bunch of bullshit right and whether these, it's political or yeah or corporation or or economically yeah yeah that that why isn't the playing field even why aren't we and you know also why do you or need, just don't li- just don't like we're just a bunch of theater kids. We don't know business. It's like, yeah, you fucking do. Right. You you created TV shows for people. You know, and I mean, I know there's a lot of good things that they've done, but it's like, don't don't try to sweep it under the rug that you didn't know what you're doing. I, I think also they made bad decisions to open up a huge theater in L.A. and and to hope and to not just keep it like Groundlings. Groundlings has one theater. They rent out a bunch of classroom classroom space to kind of cover. It's big. I did a show there. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Like it, it was. Uh, At UCB yeah, or Groundlings. Groundlings. I mean, or maybe it was. It's the Groundlings has like a school too. I don't know. I'm. I'm it's. Yeah. Uh, the, the Johnny Beaner's show, right? Yeah, I, I did that one, and I did another, but that was at there was like two separate buildings. I feel. Oh, I don't know. They might. I don't know. It's been years. But anyways, they're they, anyways. They they Groundlings has been very smart. They keep it. They've rented space, and sort of built. You know, they're they're not trying to over uh, overextend themselves. And I feel like UCB overextended themselves instead of just sort of keeping it sort of what it was, which was sort of this independent improv company. It had an underground vibe, like you right. know, like you know. 2008 2000 you know early 2000s well like whatever when it started it was very underground very like sort of an offshoot of second city sort of like sort of the bad boys of improv yeah yeah and then and then or bad girls bad girls of improv sure that sounds more like an insult um no it's not (laughs) bad girls Bad I girls think it's a movie. Imp- it sounds like a snarky thing some chauvinist would say. <laughs> Look at the bad girls of improv. I'm going to embrace it. All right. Um, and uh, we digress. We digress. But anyways, they they are shutting down. So they're shutting down. Uh, they shut down. Well, before that, though, they when the pandemic hit, they laid off oh, like yeah, they laid 40 off. to 60 of their employees and didn't really take care of them. They just kind of said like. Bye. We don't know business. Yeah, we didn't know no business. We don't know what we're doing. And 
you know, it's like if you have a billion dollars, you can put, I mean, I'm no billionaire, but I mean, I would think you could take a quarter million dollars and cover people's expenses or whatever, or I don't even know if that's the right amount of money, but so you could do something, you know, you could give money to people or do a fundraiser or anything. And, and look at like, not to, it, it does compare, but like, look at what now Ellen's not, Ellen's not looking so good because it's, she's such a contradictory of contradiction. Yeah. Contradiction of, um, she's a nice lady. I'm be, be kind, be kind. Like that's her, that's her thing, right? Be kind. And then she doesn't even, she didn't even let her employees know what's going on. Right. There of cutting the hours and all that. Now it's in a lot a, of different articles about it. Yeah. And yeah, she has non-union people doing her show currently uh, rem- that's remote as opposed to hiring her normal staff. So I think people are starting to get frustrated with that and especially. During, and they should. Yeah. And, uh, eat, you know, we not to go off point here, but we, we, we watched that FDR, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, uh, and he went through basically. What's his middle name? Delano. Oh, I didn't know that. Delano. That's D- beautiful. Oh, it's very nice. I mean, Delano Clark. Um, <laughs> so he 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 went through the Great Depression. He went through uh, the you know World War Two. We're no history podcasts. We're no history boofs, but uh, but he what a g- great leader he was, and just the comparison of what we're going through now of just how there's no no one there's no leadership yeah there's no one explaining what what's going to happen and then also just how he did all these social programs and got labeled a socialist because he was trying to help people and especially like black people were so mistreated and to kind of even the playing field for everybody so that we could make america great (laughs) in the first place um and but i mean you just see like what what a difference a great leader can make um, but anyways, I digress. But I think it, it does carry over to improv. It's, it's like, a simple it's a simple thing, right? Dick Chudnow is the FDR of improv. Sounds like it. He, he helped out the struggling theater people and got them money and helped them make a living on something they love. And he didn't look at it as like, well, these guys are having fun. I don't have to pay them. He paid them. And I, I really think he doesn't get enough credit for, for what dick chudnow for what he did in milwaukee and, and what, he, what he's done for the improv world take and i think like that's how i base my business you take care of the people that are making you your business work right before this when our shows are full our shows at the 14 cannons and the six are full capacity mm-hmm. because of the reputation they have and i take care of the headliner Right. You take care of everybody. I, I mean, I try to, yeah. So just uh, for people who maybe not heard the podcast before, but Steph runs comedy shows or ran comedy shows prior to this pandemic. And uh, yeah, and that was a big thing we talked about was when we ran our shows, we wanted to pay everybody. So whether it was somebody doing a 10-minute guest spot or somebody headlining, they would all get something. They'd all get money. They'd all get food. They'd all get a drink. Everyone got something because we and when we approach venues to do shows it's always like well we need to get paid to do this this isn't a free service and that's such a problem in comedy is the discrepancy between well we'll just pass a bucket we'll we're just having fun right we're just having it's kind fun. of goes back to that part of improv yeah and i think it's also up to the the comedian or the booker to make sure this show is good like if you're if the venue is paying you then make sure everyone's top notch people aren't just working out you know their material on the stage that they're you know that they bring they bring their a game right you know but and if they don't and i you know like i watch the whole show i'm not leaving the room she takes notes no. she, i watch the whole show she gives a grade out at the end of the show <laughs> c plus i got a c plus um and yeah. there's and then we all have bad sets but you know i you can tell when someone's working new shit out Mm-hmm. The whole time. Yeah. Anyways. But, but for the most part, I think everyone always does their best stuff. Anyways, but our point is, is that people should get paid. And I think, uh, I think the, the, the point why we wanted to do this podcast, why do we want to do this? Just because I think because we want to. Because this, this, the special of. Um, Middle Ditch and Schwartz. Um, 
I think is going to drastically change how people see improv and it's just a way for improvisers to make money with gigs that um, in that article that vulture article it talks about how when actors um, slash comics improvisers get to a certain point in their career they what they've done their whole life every day of being an improviser they stop doing once they become a you know a a a paid actor right and these guys didn't stop because they love it when i'd also like to i guess it goes back to like the theaters don't have the power this shows the theaters don't have the power the ucbs they don't the performers have the power to a degree you need the theaters though to perform on you need the experience in school yeah Yeah. so i mean you have to have first a good product but I think one thing I would say to, as a comedian who shot his own stand-up special, if you're an improviser and you want to do your own, you can do your own special. I mean, I think, first of all, find a good theater space. I was very lucky I shot it in uh, North Hollywood at El Portal Theater, where Comedy Sports uh, LA is. No longer. No longer, but uh, uh, but it's in the round. It was a nice little 100-seat theater, and it was perfect for shooting the special because there's a lot of opportunities for different camera angles and stuff like that. But... You know, shooting a special, I mean, if you are an established person or, you know, you're if you're a great improviser, you should do it. You should give it a shot because no one else is doing it. There's n- no competition. <laughs> so you could do something really great and really revolutionary and spend maybe three to three grand on it. You know, it's like you don't need a ton of money. You can use the you ticket sales. a little more than that, though, for well, the cameras and the sound and all that. Not really. I mean, well, yeah, I guess that's, uh, I don't, yeah, I don't want to get into exactly, but say five grand, you could shoot yeah. it for five grand. And then, I mean, you can, you know, Amazon pretty much puts stuff on their, anything on their site, you know, unfortunately it doesn't pay that well. It's like penny, like it's like literal like quarter of a penny sometimes <laughs> that you get, um, like it's ridiculous. Sometimes there's thing like if you, if you get like a million minutes streamed, that's like a thousand dollars, like that's how ridiculous. And now I think it's even less. But if you get something on there, you you know it's a great platform for people seeing it. And right now, I mean, it's it's getting more convoluted. But I think if you got it up there now or in the next year, that it's going to be up there. But I feel like in two years, Amazon is going to sort of sh- close that door of letting independent people submit you their think stuff. So? I think so, and I think. But who we don't even know if if you're in L.A., you can put a show together, you know, six well, months uh, from now. Yeah, you're kind of screwed now, guys. Good luck to you. <laughs> but I do think that people should <coughs> explore that option of doing uh, an independent improv special. I think if you don't, I will. Let's do it. I'll race you. Yeah. But even when you say competition, it's such it's so opposite of like stand up is more competitive than improv is more. Even in that article, those guys were saying um, Tom and Ben were saying that now we if we if this goes well and it's well received, this could mean paid um, paid paid gigs or, you know more more an income yeah. or an income for improvisers but if it doesn't go well it's not well received then it's uh, not looking good but i think it i think it's really really good yeah. and i think that it I, it just goes to show you that's the improviser's mind is like this can be good for my fellow improvisers right you know I, like that that's how they think yeah and i think i think comedians and improvisers they always say like well i'm not a good business person and i've said that and it's like you are you are a good business person or if you're not you should be right and you, you can sh- be you, sh- you should learn to right. it's a mindset i'm sure you when you started in comedy you're like i'm not a good i'm not good at this i'm too shy to be on stage but you got good at it and and that's the same with the business side of this is you can't you know steph has taught me that i, I probably in the last five or six years i've become better at the business side of things and uh and i'm know. still not great i'm not perfect at it right but when I, I learn, yeah. But when I released my first comedy album, I didn't promote it at all. Like I think I posted on Facebook, and it was like a joke, like "Hey, this is my CD, check it out." And I did put no effort into it because I was like, "Well, this company, this this company that produced it, they're going to do all the work." Yeah, right. And they didn't. 
And now, so I'm releasing this new one, uh, hopefully May 8th. I'm going to start promoting it pretty soon. But I'm going to promote it. And I'm, you know, I started working on, with, on the Spotify and on Pandora and on iTunes and figuring out how to, you know, get more airplay for it. Because that's the other thing I want to mention is streaming is going to be the new things for stand-ups. Is, well, it already is, yeah. Yeah, it already is. But I feel like comedians don't know that. Like you look at Jim Gaffigan, he's got like 10 specials streaming at all times on on all these channels. And it's money and it's pennies, but it all adds up. And, you know, this is 24 hours a day, Spotify, Pandora, that these guys have to keep generating comedy or whatever it is people want. And I think that's going to go away. Like companies are going to realize, like, we could be, you know, we don't need these guys. We can totally rip them off. Like they're gonna realize that. How would they do that if they if the, they need the comics for the content? Well, they'll make the comics think that they that they're doing them a favor. Oh, I Whereas see. Now I they'll think, manipulate the system. Right. I think they're gonna go the other way. But I think now is such a great time for the independent artists to do stuff on their own, and especially now during this pandemic when you have all this downtime. Like, look at your stuff. Like, look at your material. If if you are a comic who's done a headlining set, I'm sure you have an audio from one of your specials or audio from something where you or from multiple things that you could maybe make an your own cd yeah that's what i mentioned last in the last podcast yeah of like do you if you have an audio from something you ice house or you know. comedy magic or wherever um you know i mean uh and i'll give a shout out to matthew gossen uh editor matthew.com he he did the uh edited the audio for mine and he and works freaking quick Right, he does it in a day or two, and uh, and he's reasonable, reasonably priced, and obviously needs the work. So, editormatthew.com, I'll I'll add him to uh, like a link or whatever. Yeah. Um, but uh, anyways, we were just kind of inspired by the special and wanted to uh, do kind of a quick podcast. And whenever Steph's in the mood to talk, I like to. Uh, he records. I record, so this is uh this is fun for me to talk about improv and. Um, uh, yeah, I want to like give us some feedback and your opinions of um, what do you do? You, what do you like improv? Do you not like it? Uh, mm-hmm. Recommendations for you know that I don't know this that special inspired me like in that article for that guy he I, I don't know the writer I should have looked at it but he then was like craving improv like he was like wa- trying to f- watch you know Zoom improv on uh, or Zoom improv and uh, Instagram improv like he was like in the mood to crave it i want to touch upon though like when you when when it is said that you can't make money doing improv that's not true even before this even before watching the special tom and i have done improv shows um i mean i don't really do improv that much i have taken a couple classes kurt scholler i've taken classes with him and he's an amazing teacher so i'm kind of a newbie with improv Mm-hmm. more experience with stand-up but um i produced it w- with uh with tom and our friend lauren pritchard they'll do a two-person and kurt's done one yeah. and kurt's done Kurt but we, one. that's something we pitched i did a catholic school gig we did stand-up for him and then i said you know we also do improv which we hadn't done at that point but i was like what know, right so yeah we what? wanted to do another show for him he's like oh, i'd love to have you guys back how would that work i was like well you know what would work is maybe doing an improv show which is all made up we get volunteers. It's sort of like whose line is it anyway? And guys are like, yeah, that sounds really cool. So we took basic improv games that we knew, and which we had, which Tom and Lauren, as a two-person improv game type of format, they had had not done before. Mm-hmm. And so we just were like, yeah, we do that, right? A- and and they did it. It's and yes, and right? and it worked. And it was the, one of the most hilarious shows i've ever watched and we had a big group from australia and uh it was like a catholic school ministry thing and it was like this group from australia came and then this group from and and the students from granada hills it it was funny those australian students then saw lauren at universal and she does this thing where she shouts from a window in like a new york city (laughs) Yeah. Uh, cityscape and then they're like hey it's that girl or however australians talk. and then they saw her on jesse and they're like oh my god this like this lady is in everything right <laughs> right like, yeah she's i mean a, lauren is one of the most like hardest working and people i know 
and it goes back to what the middle ditch and Schwartz said is like you, when you trust the person on stage, you don't have to think there's not that right. anything in the back of your head. is like, Oh crap, this isn't going to go well. It's like, Oh, I know whatever I do, she'll make it look good. And I think that's part of the battle with two person improv is that you really need to know, trust your partner. Right. Um, but anyways, yeah, we've done that show. We're doing another well, corporate once, show. Once we up. did that, once we did that show, then we we uh, I pitched it to this winery show where we did some stand up shows there, and it is hard to explain what it is. But like once I was like, oh, it's kind of like whose line? It's more. Uh, it's just improv games. They're very interactive. Right. And then, even if they're hesitant, but they trust you because they trust the stand up part of it, then the then those people were willing to give it a chance. And then once they saw it, then they like booked it out. And then I was able to get more money from them right. because it's so good and you can't really just have anybody do it. Right. And, and one final thing I think uh, is that we were talking about how comedians, you know, when I started in stand, when I started doing improv and stand up, a lot of people kind of poo pooed it where they're kind of like, Oh, improv, improv, stupid. You know, it's like, I think comedians are some of the most for, for people that are like anything's nothing's off limits on stage. They're very like closed minded when it becomes when it comes to like if I you play guitar on stage, if you crowd work crowd work, if you do this, well that's not stand up, that's not stand. And it's like they're so closed minded and, and they're sup, such hypocrites. And if you're a comedian you have to really shut that out of your brain. Nothing's off limits. Don't don't shut off your creativity because somebody says this isn't the right way to do it. I, I think if I had done that in my career, I wouldn't be able to get through this pandemic and make money. Um, not that I'm making a ton of money, but it's like, but, but that's true. Also, Oh, go ahead. Um, I well also like, you know, when this, when, the, when the pandemic started, I mean, they, they, it's been a, a very emotional like roller coaster. And at first it was like denial um, and then it was quickly like, oh my goodness, both of us don't have work. <laughs> like, right, yeah. I mean, all of a sudden, I never would have thought both of us would just not be working at all. Just one day, just nothing, no income. And then realizing like, well, what the fuck are we going to do to make a little money before, you know, Tom just this week got money for unemployment. I still haven't and we don't have stimulus checks and we're okay. We're fine. But um, it's frustrating. It, it, it's, it, it's it really how you measure your self-worth sometimes is getting money is like you don't. It, it's unfortunately something that you value as a person when it's not coming in. You're like, this is terrible. Right. right. And, and but then, you know, some people, some comic friends are going to are asking, like, are you going to do are you going to do uh, produce stand up shows on online? And for me, like, I didn't re I didn't really want to. I tried one and I it just wasn't, it doesn't feel right to me. It just, it just felt awkward and it just didn't feel like anything. Like I didn't feel creative. I didn't feel good about it. But when I, when I realized like we realized together, well, you can, you can kind of do an improv virtual mm -hmm. improv show. And then Tom's uh, former student hit him up about this company that wanted to do uh, some comedy show. And I was like, well, like let's have, you and Lauren do an improv show. So right. we're trying to figure out games that would work. And we, we watched some and, uh, yeah, we figured out sort of a lineup. We did like a practice show a couple of weeks ago for like 25 people and went good. It was good. Um, you know, it's just so hard to tell cause you just don't have that. You can't hear the audience. So you don't know how it's going, but I think just watching shows, you're kind of like, okay, you just got to not be in your head and you kind of have to just, trust that the instincts that you have when you're on stage are just as good on a zoom or on your computer or whatever right but then there's like also like um there was a comedy central or com comic relief stand-up show oh yeah and it was like comics were laughing yeah they were just like drew lynch was so funny and did this like he played two characters of a heckler and he just is like so creative and hilarious. But other than him, the ones I watched, nobody was really doing stand up successfully right. or they weren't really doing stand up. They were just doing kind of like sketches and bits. It just goes to show you how hard stand up is to do online 
Right. It affects you because it's like if you do, especially if you're a big name, it's like if you do stand up online and, and it bombs or whatever, it's like it kind of affects your sort of reputation or people are going to maybe replay it and be like, look at this, this guy sucks. Um, so it is hard. I mean, not that I care, but but I think you watch some of the talk shows now and you watch them doing their monologue. You're like, oh, my God, the audience really does play a huge role in in moving keeping that moving and bad jokes and whatever you know who's hysterical like i never even really watched john oliver before but watching 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 what he's doing now is like really impressive and just like really entertaining i mean it's 25 minutes of unedited just him talking and and keeping that show moving right along like he does such a great job um Anyways, I, we just wanted to talk about that. Oh, that's it? That. Yeah, we're, we're almost Anywho, at an hour. Um, I, you know, it has been interesting watching people doing different... I like talking about this. People, they're cleaning and they're listening. It's fine. I gotta go to the bathroom. You can hold it. No, I can't, honestly. Oh, gross. Yeah. I, well, I was just going to say, just it, it. I think it's an interesting struggle of um, showing different creativity, like SNL and uh, Chloe Feynman, who... Um, Tom, it, Chloe took Tom's class. I had Chloe on a show before, but we knew for a long freaking time, years, how talented she was. And I mean, what a perfect person to have on SNL right now, right. showing her Watch abilities. Watch her Instagram. Oh my goodness. Um, but it is, I, I don't know. I want feedback of like what you guys are watching. What do you think is working? Um, I think Seth Meyers is really funny. I, his stand-up special is hilarious. And, and I, I, like, I enjoy watching um his uh, online show now it's, we like whatever. watching seth rogan and jimmy kimmel is pretty funny oh yeah segment. seth rogan, seth so, rogan funny. so so funny yeah um but well, yeah well i guess that's it because tom has to go to the bathroom <laughs> that's right that's how every podcast ends i have to go to the bathroom um thank you guys so much for listening uh we're gonna try to do this you know we this is our uh when we're in the now. mood for it yeah but we've done it back to back weeks now so that's good check out um follow us on instagram follow our uh, podcast on instagram at i'm a rescue podcast and, and steph clark comedy and uh yeah and leave us a review on itunes and my special will be coming out in a couple weeks so stay tuned to that i will uh and and, you know if you can leave a review and all that stuff yeah like this or share it just like it if you feel weird about sharing things i don't know i don't know what you're into she doesn't all right thank you guys so much we'll uh see you soon